All right. Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined as usual by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. And we are delighted to have a guest with us, Amy Winder Newton. Hello, Amy. Hello. It's good Hi, to Amy. meet you guys. So Welcome wonderful to, to have you. So let me give you let me let, let me give uh, us all a sense of. Uh, what kind of a cool person you are. So Amy Winder Newton's been serving on the Salt Lake City Council since two, 2014. Now, Corey, the Salt Lake County Council. I'm far too conservative to win in a Salt Lake City race. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. Salt Lake County Council. That's I true. fumbled my words. Since uh, since 2014, I served as chair in 2018. She, we all know, is known for her work on poverty and especially these days, uh, mental health issues. Been doing some great stuff. Ran for governor in 2020 and uh, been a small business owner for nearly 20 years, I think. She's uh, obviously smart, thoughtful public servant. And now that we got that out of the way, let's get to the question on everyone else's, on all of our listeners' minds. Amy, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, you know what? That has changed over the years. It used to be Leatherby's toasted almond ice cream with hot fudge and hot caramel. But lately I've discovered Tillamook's ice creams at the grocery store. And my favorite right now is the chocolate peanut butter. Oh, that's really? chocolate ice cream with ribbons of peanut butter in it. And it is amazing. So any of their ice cream, I think is fantastic. Sounds like that should be made by Reese's or something. Yeah. No, it's better than any other kind of chocolate peanut butter ice cream I've had. So I love it. Let's jump into it. A couple of weeks ago, the Salt Lake County Council voted to overturn a mask mandate for K through 12 students issued by the county health director. This past week, Salt Lake City Mayor Mendenhall dismissed the council's decision and moved to impose a mandate on Salt Lake City schools anyway. Amy, as a member of the Salt Lake County Council, you took part in that vote. I know it was a thoughtful decision on your part. What do you think of Mayor Mendenhall's actions? Um, well, I, I'm, I've got mixed feelings on it, and I'll tell you why. Um, one of the reasons that I voted to overturn the mask mandate uh, with Salt Lake County is because we didn't have enough data that I felt like I could justify. Um, we had at that point had 58 kids that had been hospitalized for COVID in that age group um, over the 18 months of the pandemic. We had one death, which is tragic, but it goes to show you the difference between what we're seeing with adults. And so mm -hmm. at that time, I felt like I couldn't justify it. I think it's always great that we leave these kinds of decisions up to the parents to choose what's best for their child. But I've been open to, you know, if anything changes, if we start seeing crazy high numbers that we, we might need to look at it again. Um, with, with Mayor Mendenhall's decision, first of all, I don't think it was legal what she's doing. And Todd probably can opine on that because the legislature has been pretty strict on the criteria that they've put in place for uh, mandates such as, you know, for the pandemic or masks or whatever. Um, but I do think it's going to be interesting because right now we've never been able to have like a variable and control kind of science um, experiment to see how effective these masks really are with right. the Delta variant. I mean, it's such a contagious variant. And um, I, I think a lot of us are wondering, you know, are cloth masks really going to be that helpful? I mean, I think there's always a little bit of help they give there, but um, it will be interesting to see the numbers between Salt Lake City School District and the other school districts at the same time in a similar location and really get an idea how much they make a difference. Yeah, definitely. Todd, what do you think? Well, I think the legality, um, I think she's on thin ice, but I, I, I won't say that, she, you know, that she, there's no basis. And 
And part of that is because the legislature was so focused on reining in the governor's powers Mm -hmm. uh, during a pandemic and reining in, I think, the county health departments um, that they they weren't really looking at the mayor and the mayor is saying, look, I I have inherent authority um, as a chief executive of my city. Um, and the, the legislature didn't take any of that inherent authority power away from me. And so she's not completely right. She's not completely wrong. Certainly, the, I think the legislative intent is pretty clear. Um, but this is the second time she's found a loophole, because you'll recall when the state basically did away with the mask mandate, she said last April, no, we're going to keep it in Salt Lake City until um, uh, until these three criteria met. So two or three weeks later, it, it expired in Salt Lake City. And uh, I just want to remind people that um, the legislature did empower the county health departments to to impose mask mandates, including in schools. So in Grand County, um, right now, there is a mask mandate in addition to Salt Lake City. Mm. And, you know, I talked to uh, the Davis County officials and um, the, the county council, I you know, if the county health Department in Davis County um, declares a mask mandate. The county councils indicated they will not override it, but but they're kind of waiting, like Amy said, to see you know what happens. And fortunately, even though we've now had two teens pass away from COVID in Utah, which is tragic, we haven't had any children under the age of twelve in Utah die of COVID nineteen, and that's the only group that cannot get vaccinated. And the vac- we don't know if the vaccine is safe for that group, which is why it hasn't been approved even for. Um, experimental use. And so, you know, it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, and, and fortunately, ch- children have, um, have been kind of spared from, from, from what we've seen among adults and even older teens um, with this virus. But uh, I want to also point out the Salt Lake Tribune reported that there was a, a meeting between the governor and all 41 superintendents of the, of the, of the school districts that we have and they asked the governor not to change the law and not to give school boards authority to impose a mask mandate uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, I wasn't in the meeting, but number one, they said, we don't have epidemiologists on our school board. So this, this is a, a decision that should lie with the, the health officials. But number two, I don't think they want to be in the crossfire of parents because um, ever since this pandemic started, no matter what the school boards do, about 33% of the parents are um, very angry with them. So, you know, they, they, they've been planning for, you know, the, the current status quo for several months and, and, and they don't want it disturbed. And so, you know, I still get emails every day saying I'm a horrible person because we have banned masks in schools. Well, we haven't banned them. What, what we've done is we've said that health departments can recommend them and, and elected officials can over- override them but, uh, or veto that effectively. So that, that's where things stand. And I'll tell you, I actually think the legislature got this right. And here's why. Um, I don't like making this decision. It has been the hardest month of my entire seven and a half years on the county council. I mean, just this is a difficult decision because we're not just talking about um, a simple policy issue. This is this is a health. I mean, health decisions and life or death decisions are, are stressful. And so I have a new appreciation for those who made some hard decisions last year with the pandemic. But as Todd mentioned, the school districts don't have epidemiologists and a health department. The county does. Um, I do think it's the right call to push it down to the local level because what's happening in Salt Lake County may not be the same thing that's happening in Juab County or um, Washington County or other counties. Um, And I also don't 
I, I feel bad for the school districts. And I've been talking a lot with some of the school, um, school district officials this last week as I've been thinking, what are our next steps? And I mean, these poor people, they have to enforce whatever we do. So if we do at some point have a mask mandate, they're already in the crossfires of angry parents because they're having to enforce. So for them to be the decision makers as well, doesn't make sense. So, well, and Amy, I'm glad that you mentioned that word because the one thing I wanted to mention is Salt Lake School District is not enforcing this. So if a student comes without a mask, they don't get in trouble. They're not sent home. They're allowed to attend school without a mask. And so when you talk about a mandate, um, Salt Lake School District is not enforcing it. No, um, they will strongly recommend the student wear a mask. They'll offer them a mask. And if the student says, no, my mom and dad said I don't have to wear one, then they go to class without a mask. And that, that's the status quo. Um, and, and I don't have a problem with that per se, but you know, are, are we really going to deprive kids of their education if, if they're not going to wear a mask? And the other thing I want to say, Corey, is we don't have any data on, I mean, I ride front runner a lot to, to get to, to, from Woods Cross to Salt Lake for my office. And so I have to wear a mask on the front runner because it's federal law. And I'm literally with a different group of people every day I get on the train and that makes total sense. But these kids, I just want to emphasize they're in a classroom with the same kids every day, six hours a day, five days a week. They go to lunch with these same kids and they take their masks off at lunch. That's a whole different deal than maybe 10 or 15 minutes of exposure to a complete stranger. So yeah. we don't have any data that a cloth mask is going to prevent COVID from someone that's literally in the same classroom as someone for 30 hours a week. Yeah. Now we do have numbers that are on the rise right now with elementary school kids. I mean, a quarter of our cases um, this last week were from elementary school age kids, which is far different than what we saw last year. So we do know this variant is spreading quicker. Um, we aren't seeing that it's more dangerous necessarily, no, not yet, not but yet. right. But we don't, I don't know if we know enough either on that. Um, so, so it's something we're watching carefully. I mean, I talk with Dr. Angela Dunn almost every single day as we're trying to figure out what are our next steps? What are some things we need to be looking at? But let me tell you what we're doing in Salt Lake County that I hope other counties around the state are doing that I think is going to help. One of the things that we see as a big important thing for our children in that age group is to be able to be in school as much as possible. And yet we want to be able to help keep the spread low if for some reason we have major outbreaks. So one of the things that we do in Salt Lake County and all of our school districts have agreed with this and they're doing it and enforcing it is when we hit 2%, if they have over 1500 kids in their school, or 30 cases if they have under 1,500 kids in their school. So most of our elementaries are, all of them in Salt Lake County are under 1,500. So we'll use 30 cases as the number. But when they hit 30 cases um, in a school, then they have to do a, go into a test to stay situation where either the kids are dismissed and quarantine, they have to quarantine at home for 10 days, or if they wanna go get a negative COVID test and bring it back, then they can go back to school. It's very disruptive. It's hard on the administration, it's hard on the students, it's hard on the parents. Um, so one of the things that I've been looking at is, is does it make sense at 1% or at 15 cases to do something to make sure that we don't get to that test to stay situation? And so lots of conversations are going on. We're looking at this really closely because this is a big issue, um, but it is concerning. I mean, it, the numbers that we're seeing are concerning. And we know even though primary children's hospital um, is full, it's not COVID patients that, that, right. that is the reason they're full. There's under a dozen COVID patients. It's RSV and it's they had a flood that's, you know, uh, 
taken away some of their beds. And so there's other factors at play there, but it's still something I think we've got to look at. Yeah, it, it is full. And I'm glad you mentioned that because part of their ICU is shut down for repairs from the flood. And most of their uh, patients right now are RSV patients. And a lot of those patients are too young to go to kindergarten. You know, RSV can affect older children, but it's usually the newborns and the one and two and three-year-olds that, that get a effect with that. And we've never seen RSV this, you know, in the summer like this before. So I'm not sure what, what that means, you know, exactly when. Yeah. Unlike last year, the hospitals are not turning away elective surgeries. Those are still going forward. So it is, but they've threatened, I did want to say, threatened you know, it, but they haven't done it yet. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. I did want to say though, Amy, I mean, I, I think it was a courageous vote you took. And I mean, I, th I personally think it was the right decision, but even for those who disagreed, I hope they appreciate how seriously you and, and your colleagues studied the issue. I mean, I really appreciate the fact that you said that, that was your toughest month, toughest vote. And to me, that's the kind of thoughtful attention that we want our elected officials to do. I mean, to, to dig in and to really learn it and to listen to all sides, even when it's not very easy. So. Well, and one of the frustrations was the media tried to paint this as being a political decision that, you know, the six Republicans voted together in lockstep. What, what, they, what they don't know is that we each individually made our decision. One of my Republican colleagues, she hadn't even decided for sure how she was going to vote until she got to that meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then they paint this picture as, oh, it's a party line vote. And, and they're showing kind of the extremists in the background with their signs and everything um, and trying to paint it as we caved to some of the extremists. And I'm thinking, you caved to Fox News, didn't you know yeah, that? Amy? Yeah, we, that's not how it went down at all. So it's frustrating that the media painted it that way. It was frustrating that Mayor Wilson politicized it in her comments instead of just being respectful of, you know, our decision and what we needed to do. Um, you know, she she made it very political. And, and it's unfortunate because that's not how we get good work done. And, and usually in Salt Lake County, we're known for being able to be be, be able to work well together and not have things politicized and get things done. And, and it's been frustrating to see how it's been portrayed. And, and the sad thing is we've been getting political decisions from Dr. Fauci and the CDC all the way down to our County health departments sure. all along, but the media doesn't usually portray it that way, even though they are purely political decisions. And speaking of political decisions, Corey, I mentioned uh, earlier in my comments that the superintendents met with the governor and it was reported that the governor offered to do a school mask mandate and that the superintendent said no. What's your reaction to that? I mean, I appreciate the governor's big heart. I, know, I think we all know that he has a big heart and he cares and, and I know he's trying to help. So, and so he's grasping for things to try, but, and I'm glad I'm just trying to solve problems. But I mean, I think a statewide mandate just would backfire. I don't think it would work. You know, you've said that before. I think even if he had the authority, <laughs> yeah, even if he had the authority to pull that lever, which I think is highly questionable. I mean, I think it would spark, spark a revolt, same as and, you. And, and remember, in May, the governor came out and promised students, promised parents there won't be and masks uh, in the fall, and even gave students the last week of school off from masks last May. So I, I think if he reversed that decision today, there, there would be a huge political price to pay. All right, let's move to our next topic. So Utah was recently named the worst state, the worst state for women's equality by WalletHub, uh, a personal finance app. The score was apparently based on uh, gender wage gap, uh, political representation, education, and uh, women in top, I guess, corporate jobs. Amy, do you think this rating reflects the reality on the ground in Utah? Um, 
you know what? I think that there's, we have a long ways to go. I do feel like that there's some things that we can improve on and make it easier for um, women to have equal opportunities. But I'll be honest, the Wallet Hub study I'm uncomfortable with because it's measuring equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And I'll explain a little bit more what I mean by that. Um, here in Utah, we have a high premium on raising our children and we have more kids than you know most other states and a lot of women and I'll, I'll give you my own example i wanted to be a stay-at-home mom until um, my kids were in school during the day and even then i wanted to only work um, two-thirds time so mm -hmm. that i could be home when they were home in the afternoons and so i i look at that study and i look at some of the things that they're measuring like they're measuring how many women um, had more education than just a bachelor's degree well, I only have a bachelor's degree. I don't want to get a higher ed. It's not that I have been deprived that opportunity or that, um, you know, there's some. You mean your husband would let you get a master's if you want? Yeah, I mean, he won't let me. He's told me. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> I mean, truly, if I wanted to go get my master's and I did actually start an application at one time for a master's program and then ended up having other things that came my way and, and got involved there. But I look at that as a criteria and I think that's kind of backwards because what we need to look at is what do women want? Do they feel like they're able to achieve their dreams and goals and do all the things that they want to do? Or are we just measuring criteria that other people think are important? And so, um, you know, while I, 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 the political representation, man, we got to do better. We need more women who are interested in running for office. And, and that's a great place that we can do better in Utah. But I'm looking at some of this other methodology that they used, and I, I don't agree with it. I just think it's measuring an outcome that some women aren't interested in seeing. And, um, you know, entrepreneurship or, some of the uh, higher C-suite uh, executive opportunities. Well, I know a lot of women who are completely capable of being in a C-suite, but they would prefer to have a more flexible job and do something maybe a little bit different. So they have that flexibility for family. And so mm -hmm. I just don't think that that accurately measured the right, um, the right issues that we need to be talking about. And, and I'm so glad you said that, Amy, because most of these don't. And I'm going to just use a couple women in my life as an example. And the first one is my wife. So my wife has two associate's degree um, degrees. She's never wanted a bachelor's degree and she's never really wanted to work outside the home. And so according to this survey, um, you know, my wife uh, would not be considered pulling her weight because she's not earning 70 or 80 or $100,000 a year. In fact, she's earning nothing because she doesn't work for pay. Utah is also the number one state for volunteers in the nation. My wife is one of those volunteers. She's volunteered in all of our kids' classroom. She's volunteered in the community. She's volunteered in our church. She does a ton of volunteer work, which is good for our community, but not good for this particular survey. And so I, I think that Amy is absolutely correct that this is, is, is kind of penalizing Utah for its culture. And the other woman I want to use is our current Lieutenant Governor, Deidre Henderson. So Deidre Henderson, I believe, got married at the age of 19. I know, Amy, you were classmates with her in junior high. Um, Amy, uh, Deidre got married at 19. She started having babies. She had five kids and raised five kids. She got involved with politics uh, in 2008. So let's say about 13 years ago, she's been a state senator, a very successful state senator. She's now a very successful lieutenant governor, and she's still working to finish up her bachelor's degree. Does that make Utah a bad place for women because she decided to 
drop out of college and start having babies when she was 19? I don't think it does. I think it speaks to a decision that she made that she willingly made that I don't think if she could go back, she would change that decision. So I'm glad that Amy is recognizing that because can we do better at this? Yes. Um, and you know, I know that Amy's been involved with a PAC that was recently formed to help elect more uh, Republican women in the state. I'm I'm very uh, supportive of that. I, uh, I I worked hard to get Melissa Ballard elected when she ran a couple of years ago, and 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 I've 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 donated to several female candidates. And yet, at the same time, as a sitting legislator myself, I don't get to pick my colleagues, and so the voters. The voters are the ones that are sending, you know, men or in some instances, uh, fewer women. Um, but when I talk to female candidates and, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, they tell me that the most judgy um, voters out there are fellow women. It's not the men that won't vote for them. A lot of women are asking them questions that seem inappropriate, like who's going to watch your kids if you're elected and things like that. And so I, I do think we have progress to be made, but I, I don't put a lot of stock in these third party. They, they usually have their own agendas. Um, and uh, I, I don't like being last, but I understand why we're last. Well, well while a hub, you know, is just for everyone's edification. I mean, it's like, it's this uh, personal finance app, which is, I mean, it's essentially like a trap to, for them to capture your personal information. And, and I mean, this, this survey is pure clickbait to try to you yeah. know, get people. So, I mean, it's not like it's scientific in that sense, but anyway, I, I wanted to pile on and say, we definitely need more women in politics. I think it's great. The pack that you put together. Um, and, uh, and I want to be supportive of that. What's the um, PAC's name? So it's a women, it's a women leadership pack for Republican uh, female candidates. Now, what they're doing purposely to make sure that they're not causing issues is they're they're helping women who are running for open seats. So they they don't want their um, you know, our Republican Smart. male colleagues to get a little scared that you know here we come. But um, and it's to provide assistance in the form of fundraising, which I will say as a gubernatorial candidate, fundraising is not easy, and yeah. there is a discrepancy there often with men and women. And that's a, that's a problem. It's something that needs to be addressed. So that'll be great for that, but also helping women know how to run and things that you can do when you're running. And that's kind of the part I'm involved in is how, how do we mentor these women so that they know how to run a campaign and and what they can do. So it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm excited to, to see how that progresses. Well, let's switch into our last topic, and that is uh, Mike Lee's Don't Draft Our Daughters. Uh, Recently, Senator Lee introduced a resolution uh, asking the U.S. Senate uh, to pass this resolution saying that um, women should not be forced to register for the selected service uh, system or the draft. Uh, Amy, what's your perspective on drafting women into the military? Um, You know what? I I don't I would agree with what Senator Lee's. proposing as a resolution. We have a lot of, as we spoke earlier, we have a lot of progress we need to make as far as helping women um, and helping with the equality piece. And so having them as part of the draft, that's not what we should be talking about right now. We have far bigger issues that we need to be um, talking about. You know, it's interesting to talk, to look at some of his stats with injuries. I think women are six times, I think that was the stat, six times more likely to be injured um, in the battlefield. I mean, as much as we want equality, we have to recognize we have different body types, right? I mean, men are made to do more physical things like fight in wars and battles and, and women 
we don't have quite that same uh, physique. And so there's things like that, that, that I, I, I just, I don't think that, I mean, if there's a woman who wants to serve by all means, I am completely supportive. I think it's awesome, but to include them in the draft, you know, young mothers who may have children at home or, or uh, women as your frontline defenders, I just don't know if that makes as much sense. I highly recommend a book called uh, Ashley's War. It's about uh, women soldiers in special ops. And these women are absolutely legit. And I have total confidence in their ability. But not all women are built that way. <laughs> that's right. for sure. No, um, I mentioned this earlier. I have a, a, a girl that lives across the street from me here in Woods Cross. And she just graduated from high school. And she joined the Marines. And good for her. But, I mean, she did that. She didn't need a draft to do that. So I, I fully am supportive of any woman who wants to serve in the military. I don't, I'm not sure that we should force them to. So, but um, I think they've proven themselves capable. And um, I've been interested in some of the pictures uh, coming from Afghanistan these last two weeks, we've heard about Afghan women throwing their babies, you know, into the airport over the walls and seeing some of these female soldiers coddling these babies, you know, is very touching. And, and I know that of the 13 that we tragically lost uh, last Thursday, I, I think a few of them were, were female. So yeah. in any event. Well, and as we talk about policy, even military policy, I, I think it's important to recognize that we know from Harvard studies and other otherwise that when you have both men and women at the decision-making table, when you're talking about policy, you get better outcomes. And so I don't think that we want to diminish the value that having both genders on the policymaking side is, is valuable. And like you said, we've got some rock star women out there who are joining the military, who are contributing at such high levels and who are valuable assets. And we're so lucky that we have that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think that's all the time we have. Amy, we're so delighted to have you come. Super fun. We'll have to do it again. I think that's all the time we have. Thanks everyone.